0: Good to see you. Been gone for a couple of weeks. We actually got back last last weekend. I had to do a wedding, and uh, so we came back. But uh, we're gone a couple of weeks. for traveling. Somebody asked how was our vacation. Uh, 1,900 miles visiting family. Is that what you call a vacation? You can name it that. Okay, but it was it was good. It was good. But anyway, we're glad to be back. Uh, it's good to see our kids and uh, grandkids and parents and sisters and uncles and aunts and I don't know I didn't see those but uh, anyway good to see you this morning before I start the message I want to share with you what's going on next couple of two or three months Um, fall's here it's kind of the kickoff for the uh, for the for the fall Uh, it's kind of really kind of a start of what I call a church year because summer's kind of a uh, you guys have been incredible we've had really some great attendance this summer best summer attendance we've ever had by far uh, so most of you I've seen, but a lot of times you travel a lot. This weekend is a big travel weekend. We have, pro- I don't know how many families we have at Miracle Camp this weekend, but a bunch, and uh, so that's, that's another big deal. I do remember the days years ago when I first came 12 years ago, and we had about 120 people in attendance, that Labor Day weekend was a disaster. Uh, we'd have like uh, half the f- church would be gone to family camp, and uh, so literally that's what happened many times, and so so it was kind of crazy. So uh, this, that doesn't really affect us as much anymore, but still a lot of people traveling and whatever. But next week we're going to start, today's a stand-alone message, meaning that it's really not part of a series. But next week we start a new series It's going to be just a month of September, and it's called Starting Over. And uh, one of the things that I've constantly found people uh, dealing with and wanting answers to from a biblical perspective is this whole deal of, um, you know, I've gone through something in my life, uh, it's relational, it's financial, it's whatever, it's been a disaster, um, and I need to start over. How do I do that? And how do I make sure that next time is not a repeat of last time? And so we're going to talk about that from a biblical perspective starting next week, starting over. Uh, we're talking about how to get a do-over uh, and some other things in our life. So that's going to be the month of September. Uh, small groups also will be kicking off in the next couple of weeks. If you, uh, in your bulletin is a, is a form that you can sign up for groups. I encourage you to do that if you're not already in a group. And what that is is simply a form that, that gives us some information about what day of the week, uh, what life stage you're in, uh, where you live, kind of, so we can kind of place you in that kind of demographic and that kind of uh, uh, geographic locations. And so then we'll try to connect you with uh, the, about 25 groups that we have that, that, that are here in Germantown, Metamora, Washington, East Peoria. We've got groups everywhere. And so uh, try to do that because it's a very important thing because we believe at Great Oaks, that circles are better than rows okay remember that circles are better than rows and guess what you're sitting in this morning rows okay and while this morning is important we believe the circles are even more important because being connected with people in a circle where you can share and grow is hugely important as well so we ask you to encourage you with that as well we will have some materials for our groups for this next series it's the month of september uh, just some uh, questions and stuff. I've already sent them out to group leaders. And if you'd like to uh, start a new group or something, let me know as well, and we'll uh, connect with you with you as well. And then starting in October, I'm, I'm excited about sep- September, very excited, but I'm also really excited about October because starting the first Sunday in October, we're doing a series that actually has a video curriculum and, and, uh, and, uh, and leader's guides and a book that goes along with it. It's called Life on Mission. And life on mission is, I've been going through this material for the last uh, week, week or so since I've been back. Found um, it's, it's really brand new. Um, and uh, it came out of a church up in Chicago. Tim Harlow's a church at Parkview Christian Church up there. And he wrote the book on this. And it's just a tremendous uh, study for uh, folks uh, about what, how do we live our life on, on a perp- in a purposeful mission? Uh, what has God called us to do? And how do we do that? And let me tell you, this is a very practical. In a very, in a very uh, entertaining, uh, the videos are like 15 to 18 minutes for small group leaders, and then it's got a guidebook, and then it's got a book if you want to read that as well. So we'll be giving those out to group leaders here in the next couple of weeks, uh, so they can, be, can be, give a heads up. But that's Life on Mission, which will start, it's a six-week study. It'll get us up almost to Thanksgiving. And then we'll have some other materials for you guys as well. So groups are hugely important, and we're getting kicking off groups. So this morning, right after service, if you're not in a group, and if you'd like to fill out that card or you have questions about groups, there's a groups table that's right out here on this side of the pole. And you can uh, connect with people there as well this morning there uh, during uh, right after service. Okay. That's about that. Let me explain something to you I, i've probably shared some of this in the past, but I, as I was thinking about the beginning of the school year, it always brings back to me painful memories. schooling was not a, a joy for me uh, i 've shared this in the past, but uh, uh, back in school, for those of you who are you know like I, I was a solid b c student in school okay when i was when I was in high school uh, i didn 't know how to study, and I never studied and uh, you know I was just you know kind of getting through squeaking through and stuff like that and and um And and so when I went to college, I went to community college a couple years. The first year I went to community college, and I still—I decided I was going to be an architect, and and uh, I went there for a year, and and I was I was an architecture pre-engineering major, and uh, nobody told me I had to know math to be an architect, but uh, you know I should have figured that one out, but. that's not my strength, by the way. And, uh, so the first year was a struggle. I decided to work for a year and then go back to school for another year at community college. And then I worked another year and it was during that time that God redirected my life. But I will tell you that when I, God redirected my life after those two years in community college and two years at working, so I'm four years out of high school, um, the, the struggle was, will any school accept me with my grades? Because, because I didn't have really good grades my first two year of community college. And, um, Matter of fact, uh, it was a miracle of God that I got uh, accepted by Carson Newman College in, uh, in Tennessee, which is a real good academic school. It must have been a miracle of God. I don't know how else, because when I went, I was on academic probation my first semester there. Uh, if you've never been on academic probation, it's not a fun place to be. It means if you don't make certain grades, they say bye real quickly to you. And uh, so that's, what, that's how I started my, you know, my third-year college <laughs> And uh, so that was that was kind of my life. So it wasn't a great, I didn't learn how to study, I didn't do better, uh, you know, I had to, uh, because if not, I'd have been gone. And then when grad school, I went to grad school as well, and so, you know, that's kind of the history there. But i just tell you this, um, I remember during this time after my second year of community college, that I was trying to decide what to do with my life, and I was trying to decide, you know, what does God want me to do, and asking some questions about that. And and my mom, I remember this, she probably doesn't remember this at all, but I remember this, my mom sat down and had kind of a talk with me. My mom and dad never went to college, they were high school graduates, good folks, uh, blue collar workers, and had a great, you know, worked hard. But uh, my mom kind of gave me a pep talk, and, um, and, and, and she looked at me and she said, Billy, she called me Billy, by the way, uh, she said, Billy, uh, she said, uh, college is not for everybody. And I don't know how you would take that from your mom, but how I took it was this, even my mom thinks I'm a loser. You know, that's kind of how I thought when she said that. I don't know if she thought it was a pep talk or not, but the reality was is I wasn't sure what, what I was to do. And so I realized at that point, you know, I'm not the smartest bulb in the box, but the thing is is that, you know, I found that to be an advantage in a leadership, um, especially once I came to Great Oaks here 12 years ago. Because one of the things I've learned in leadership lessons and whatever is good leaders surround themselves, good leaders, it's easy, to, you surround, it's easy to surround yourself with smarter people. And it's real easy to surround yourself with smarter people if you're not that smart. And so I'm going like, yeah, I got this one made. And, and then I went to a conference and Jim Collins, I don't know if he, any of you in business world, Jim Collins is a well-known business consultant, talks all out to businesses fortune 500 businesses all over the place. And I went to a leadership summit and Jim Collins, I got several of his books and he, he said, he calls uh, different levels of leadership. He says a level five leader, which is the top level of leadership. He says, this is, he made this statement. and I thought this was a great statement. He says, level five leaders aspire to be the dumbest person in the room. And I'd come to Great Oaks where so many, there's so many smart people here at Great Oaks with the college degrees, and you know, some of you guys actually are engineers, you were smart enough to actually do that, uh, unlike me, and uh, you did some other stuff, and it, so I'm thinking, wow, man, you know, I'm a leader, because I'm surrounding myself with smart people, you know, and I must be a level five leader because of that. And so I found it was easy to surround myself with smarter people here when I came here, And then I found something else, though. There was another advantage as well. And I found this over the years. That so often, so often people that are very, very smart, what they do is they talk themselves out of things. They overthink things too much. And so one of the advantages of not being quite as smart is you're not afraid to try things smart people have convinced themselves won't work. You know, I have found that to be true many, many times. Some of you have had some great ideas and you've talked yourself out of them because you just overthink everything. And the reality is, is that, you know, I, I'm glad that, that that's true. We have incredibly smart people. I surround myself with incredibly smart people here at Great Oaks and Leadership. But um, I'm glad there were some people also that, that were willing to try some things here. Because when I came here 12 years ago, and it's, today's message is kind of like a free-for-all, okay? There's a passage of Scripture I'm going to focus on because God kind of led me to that. And, but this is really about where we've been, where we are, where we're going because I get to do anything I want to this week, because it's, it's, it's a standalone message, okay? But uh, I, I found that 12 years ago when I decided to come here, I decided to do something totally different. I've been in a traditional church, doing traditional church things for years, and I was so frustrated I was ready to get out of ministry, because we weren't making any headway, any progress. And, and I, I got this idea from God, and once again, I, you know, because you're not real smart, you, you, don't, you don't talk yourself out of things, you're going like, you know, we need to plant a church. Somewhere, I need to work in a church somewhere, help plant a church somewhere where our focus is on reaching people that love God but don't like the church. Yeah, you heard me right. There's a lot of people out there that love God but they don't like the church. Uh, they, they don't, they, they get frustrated with the church and, as a whole. And so, I found a group of people here in this community, Great Oaks, and back then it was a smaller group of people who who believed that we could create a church that had unchurched people in mind. And so as I had conversations with these people, a lot of people uh, we found out that was true in this community. So that was where we started. That's where we started from. And guess what? We've had consistent growth for 12 years. We had two or three years where we kind of like flatlined, but we, we've had another 10% growth spurt this year in attendance, and we've grown from, you know, 120 to, to 600, 700 now in attendance on a regular week. And this week's a little bit down because of Flavor Day. But, you know, the thing is, it's not about the numbers. The reality is this, is our purpose was to reach people who loved God, or at least didn't want to oppose to God, but who wanted to explore the, the, the whole thing about God in a setting that didn't feel too churchy. And that was our purpose from day one. And the reason that was our purpose is because God speaks that in Scripture very clearly. But then I went to, and, and, I, and I knew we were going to grow too because of a business principle I heard at a leadership conference when I went to North Point Community Church in Atlanta a few years ago. Now, this is, the, this is worth the whole admission today, okay, to, uh, to this deal today and this is what you might want to write down. The reason I, I believe that we could grow as a church is because of this principle I heard from Andy Stanley. He said this, if you have the only hot dog stand in town, your hot dogs don't have to be that good. <laughs> what? When I came here, I, you know, we came here, you know, 12 years ago, we were the only church on this side of the river that I knew of at that time that was doing what we are doing. There were some churches on the other side of the river that were kind of across town that were doing this, but we're the only church. We're the only hot dog standing in town, okay? Thank goodness there's other churches that are doing the same thing we're doing now because we need multiple churches to reach people who are far from God. But we were the only church here, so I knew we had the opportunity of particularly, since we were the only hot dog stand in town, we had the opportunity of, 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 of capturing, and using a business term, a large market share. And if we would just do it, and so when we first started off 12 years ago, I remember like some of those Sundays over, over to school, I mean, man, we, it wasn't very fancy. Uh, there was no lights, I mean, other than the gym lights. Uh, we, we, we had like, uh, like eight, four by eight pieces of plywood that were about this tall as a stage and we had kind of a lousy sound system and we had you know everything was just kind of haphazard and we had kids the kids were meeting in you know in a in a in a, the nursery was in a hallway and we had all kind of really really hokey things back then but the reality was it got we were the only one who was doing that and so we started reaching people for christ And not that we've done things so much better along the way, but the reality is is that that's been been why we started the church. We started to reach people who, in a real sense, um, loved God or, or at least wanted to explore who God is, but really didn't like the traditional church. And so that's been one of the things, a place where people could invite their friends and it wasn't intimidating to them. You don't have to come in and know language. You don't have to come in and know, know different things because I've been to churches before where I walk in and I'm going like, what are they doing? Because it's up and down and up and everybody just does it automatically or they know where everything is, you know, and I'm, I don't know where anything is and like I feel such an outsider and I know that, that, that kind of thing does not draw people to the body of Christ and so that's one of the things we try to do uh, along the way. And so we want to continue to do that, though. And I think we are continuing to do that. And I'll share with you today how God has kind of convicted me of that even again uh, through through his word. But um, um, one of the things we're going to do in the future is to ask ourselves some questions. We used to try to do surveys, these long ones people would take online and stuff. Nobody does those because they don't want to do them. But we're going to do some, like, next week when you come in, you're going to be like a one or two-question survey. And one of the questions, let me just give you one of the questions we're going to put up there next week, is this. During the five years prior to attending this church, did you regularly, and I defined regularly, at least one time a month, attend church elsewhere? During the five years before this? You know what that'll tell us? What's your background? Religious background. Because if our goal, if, if we're trying to be a church that reaches people who are unchurched, we want a, a decent percentage of people reflecting that, and that'll let us know in a real sense. I can tell you from just conversations so often that many, many people show up at Great Oaks. sometimes they haven't been in church in a long time, and, 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 and this is not an indictment on anybody, this is simply a truth, and I'm glad you're here. Because obviously, if you're here and you haven't been, somebody invited you and you came and you found a place where you could explore the message of Jesus Christ in a way that is that not, is not, uh, uh, just doesn't push you away. And see, the thing is, 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 we don't get everything perfect or right here all the time, but our primary concern is not size. Our primary concern to this day is that we would not lose this desire, this passion for unchurched people, that we would uh, drift away from that because... Churches tend to do that. Let me give you some insider information about churches. If we're not careful, this is the primary thing that will happen to churches. The gravitational pull of every church is to become a church for church people. The gravitational pull of every church is to become a church for church people. You know why? Because the people that are outside the church that we would normally ask the questions are not here. They never complain. I've never had one complaint from a person out there. Now, I can't say that about you guys. You very rarely complain, okay? This has been the least complaint, the most complaint-free church I've ever li- exa- been a part of in 12 years. But the reality is, is that, you know, I mean, I would never hear from people out there about how loud the music is. Or, you know, just name anything. That's the number one complaint of most people, by the way, you know the music's too loud. Well, you know, get over it. Um, (laughs) And and the reason that we have the music loud is because people go listen to loud music all the time. We're trying to reach people outside the church, okay? Now, the reality is, that's true. So, um, saying all that as, as a preface we're going to look at a God's Word today for a few minutes, and let me explain to you about this passage. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 14. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn, or, or if you have your, your phone with your Android and Bible or your iPad or wherever, you, you know, nowadays, it's, in our church particularly, a lot of you guys are really, you know, you're really tech savvy, so you don't come in with your bi- with paper Bibles, you come in with, you know, something else. So that's fine. I use my iPad and read from it all the time. So uh, when I was reading Scripture, I, and this is how I read Scripture sometimes, Um, I don't necessarily say this is how all of you should do it, but this is how I do it. Uh, I'll read through a a book of the Bible, and I decided back back a couple of months ago that I was going to read through a book that I haven't read through in a while, and that's 2 Corinthians. And as I was reading through 2 Corinthians, I read a book of the Bible, and as I get to a place, I'll find some scripture there that all of a sudden just stands out to me, just speaks to me clearly, and I'll camp out there for a while. And I'll read it over and over and study that and read other things about that passage of Scripture. And for some reason, when I got to chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, it just jumped out. I will say it jumped off the page, but I don't know how it does it on the iPad. But it jumped out at me, you know, and and it kind of like stood off the screen, you know, and it kind of jumped at me. So that happened. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 through 20 is what we're going to look at today. And then something else happened, which is, you know, sometimes when you have two things happen, you kind of go, do-do-do-do, you know, and it, and it kind of, you know, coincides like, you know, whatever. Um, I listen to sermons too by other pastors. There's, that's the good thing now with the internet and other things. I can listen to pa- some of the best pastors in America, I get, can listen to every week. And there's two or three guys I listen to on a regular basis, and one of them is Andy Stanley, pastor at North Point in Atlanta. And I was listening to a, to a message he did in this past spring, and man, it was, it was on this passage of scripture, and I'm, after I'd already camped out on this passage of scripture, and I'm going like, wow, man, this is good stuff. And so God, in, in, between that and Andy Stanley, uh, I was inspired, first by God's word, second by Andy Stanley, to share with you today what I'm going to share with you from this passage because it tells us why we do what we do here at Great Oaks. And why we need to continue to do what we've doing, what we been doing, what we are doing, what we will do. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. Let me share with you one thing about Paul's background. We've been studying uh, one of Paul's letters this summer, Ephesians. We finished it up. And uh, the interesting thing about Paul is this. If you don't know anything about Paul. Paul was the guy who, when we first encounter him in history, he was not a Christian. Man, he was anything but a Christian. He was the anti-Christian. He was the, he was the cultural warrior against Christians. He literally would go around and take, I call them SWAT teams, to go in and, and, and attack and kill Christians. That's what Paul was. The Apostle Paul was that way. You know, and so that's who we sue him. I mean, he was going around and he, just, he hated Christians so much that he would go around and help get, get them killed. But then he has this, this experience on the Emmaus Road, we read in Scripture. And when it happens, what happens to him he turned, everything changed. And when he, and when it changes, he not only is not a killer of Christians anymore. Now he becomes super Christian. I mean, he goes to extremes. I mean, he has, there's no, there's no halfway with Paul. But he seems like what happens is, as we read in Scripture, he understands all the damage he's done to Christianity during all the years before he became a Christian. So what he does, he becomes this super-Christian who now is trying to repair all the damage that he did during all the other years. So when you read Scripture, keep that in mind. When you read about what he says. And so as we read, start with 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we read these words, these words from the Apostle Paul. It says, for Christ loved compels us. For Christ's love compels us. And the compels means this. It means guides, guards, unifies, focuses, motivates. It does all these things. It's he's saying this unconditional love from God compels us. It guides us. It guards us. It unifies us. It focuses. It motivates us. He says this is the tip of the spear. This is which propels us along the way. He says his love for us. It's not about God's fear of God. It's not any of those things. It's God's Christ's love compels us to do the things. And then he says this, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, talking about Jesus Christ, and therefore all died. What he's saying here is this. He's saying that we were all as good as dead. We had no hope because we could not uh, be connected with God because we were people who were far from God. But then God did something for us. Christ died so that we would not have to die. And then he says this in verse 15. And he died for all. He died for everyone. That those who live, those who live, and that means those who accept him and follow him as Lord and Savior, those who live should no longer live for themselves. But for him who died for them and was raised again. What Paul's saying here is this. He's saying, those who understand that this is is the good news, that God has done something for us that we could never do for ourselves, those people realize that this is too good to keep to ourselves. And he says this, the response then of the Christian, the person who is alive in Christ, he talks about, who who live, um, the response of the Christian is, because of what you have done for me, God, through your son, Jesus Christ, why would I dare live for myself? That would be the epitome of selfishness. He says, I am so, Paul's saying, I am so grateful, I am compelled to express my love to you, God, by living for you, not because I'm afraid of you. I offer my life because of what you have done for me. Your love compels me to do just that. Then he, then he skips down a few verses in verse 18, and then he kind of like wraps it together in a package, and he says this. All this, all this thing he's already said is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Let me, let me focus on two words there. The word reconciled, first of all, is a word that most of us don't use a lot, but we, I think we understand the word reconciled. Reconciled means this. It means to take two things that are not compatible and bring into compatibility. It means to take two things that are not in agreement and bring them into agreement. What he's saying here, Paul's saying here, he's saying, on my own, I was not reconciled, I was not able to bring into agreement or not be able to be compatible with God. I was unholy, talking about all of us, and God was holy. I was a sinner, and God was not. There was these irreconcilable differences. And then what Paul is saying, the gospel, which means good news, the good news in a nutshell is this. If you and I, just to describe it this way, if you and I were perfect from this day forward, if we decide, yeah, I want to follow Christ, and we were perfect from this day forward, if that was possible, okay? Which I don't believe it is. If we were perfect from this day forward, it doesn't do anything for your past. What do you do about that? And so, and so Paul says the good news is is that God has made the first move. He accommodated himself to our issue he knows that we can't be reconciled made right brought into agreement with god so he did something for us and then he says something he uses this word uh, in the last part of that verse he said he gave us the ministry of reconciliation when you think of the word ministry what do you think of what pastor bill does no um you know i I work in a ministry no this this is not a good i hate to say this here but this is not the greatest translation of this word from the original greek language The word literally is much simpler than that. The word literally can be translated task, task. So put that instead. He gave us the task of reconciliation. What he's saying here is this. He's saying God wants to partner with us in the task of reconciliation. It's a process that people need to go through. And then he goes further to describe this in verse 19. He says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, and this is how he did it. God was reconciling the world to Christ to himself, and this is how he did it. He says, not counting people's sins against them. This is how he reconciles people. This is the problem we have. Because we are sinners and we're far from God, he says we have a problem. We have sin in our life, and sin blocks us from having a relationship with God. And he's saying, I want to, he, he's saying this. Uh, God has done something for us, and he's decided this is how he's going to do it. He's not going to count our sins against us. Now, when I read that a couple weeks ago, the first time in a long time, I'm going, you know, I could have skipped right over that. But I realized something. That is the best news that I've ever heard. Think about it. That you and I, in a real sense, have no hope without Jesus Christ, and the fact that God has chosen through His Son Jesus Christ that Jesus take up all our sins upon Him, and He wouldn't count it against us. See if God, and it means this: if God is no longer counting my sins against me, and Paul, I can imagine. Think about Paul. How did Paul describe himself? Other places in Scripture, if you know the Bible. One of his favorite titles for himself is Chief Among Sinners. How would you like that title on your door? Chief Among Sinners. You know why Paul called himself that? Because remember what he used to do before he became a Christian? He wasn't just a guy who, you know, who partied some. He wasn't just a guy who uh, cheated on his taxes. He was a guy who went out and did what? He helped kill Christians, he was a terrorist in a real sense. So when Paul speaks about this, it's something deep within him and his, his understanding of this. This is incredible. Paul's just going, wow, God. If God is not counting your sins against you, it means you're free to no longer count your sins against yourself because I'm sure that Paul did like most of us did when he became a Christian. It took him a while to figure this out and he beat himself up all the time because of his past. And if God is not like no longer counting sins against you, it means you're free to no longer count your sins against you. You don't have to beat yourself up unless you have a higher standard than God. And secondly, you're now free to not count other people's sins against them unless you have a higher standard than God. And this means that when you receive the forgiveness of God, it empowers you to forgive yourself and to forgive others. And in doing so, that frees us up to be reconciled to God and ultimately to other people. Which is the very heart of the gospel. Love God, love people. And that will never happen until we can be reconciled with God, make me right with God. And then he says this in the last part of verse 19. He says, and he has committed to us the message of Reconciliation. Just as you have been reconciled to help, he wants now to help you to understand. We need to help others understand this word, this message, and to be reconciled as well. This is the message that we have. And then in verse 20, we are therefore Christ ambassadors. What's an ambassador? An ambassador is somebody who, who stands in for someone else, who, who represents someone else. We are Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. And this word, making his appeal here, this little phrase here, uh, basically means to urge, to beg, to plead the case. He says, we are the instruments through which God is making his appeal to the whole world. And then he closes this little passage by saying in the last part of verse 20, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He's saying to us this, you know, people may reject the message of Christ, but make sure they reject the message... Uh, that, that's, that's the true message. And the, the message is this, understand the message is this, we can be reconciled to God. You can be made right with God because of what God has done for you. And understand, he says, and understand, help people to understand that the only thing that is keeping you from being reconciled to God is not God. It's the fact that he no longer, because he, the God uh, no longer holds your sin against you. But through Christ, the path has been cleared. That's the truth. And, and he says, make sure that's what they reject, if they reject that. If, I mean, I've heard people argue with, argue with me before. I've had them argue with me before and said, well, I just can't accept the, the, the Christian message because I believe I have to pay for my own shortcomings. Use, they don't like to use the word sin. And I'm, glad, and I'm going like, well, at least we're talking about the, same, the, right, the right message here. But the message of the gospel is, no, God has done for you what you could not do for yourself. Now, let me give you a summary of that whole passage, those whole six verses, seven verses there. This is what it means. And then i want to give you three quick applications of this for us, and then we'll go home. The summary of this passage, what it says is this, the love of Christ compels us to urge people to be reconciled with God. The love of Christ compels us to urge people to be reconciled with God. And when I read this passage, it made me understand once again, this is why we do what we do. It's not because we fear God. It's not because we're trying to earn brownie points with God. It's because of his love for us that should compel us to share the good news with other people. That needs to be out front of anything else we might do. And so let me give you three quick applications in how this really applies to where we've been, what we're doing, and what we'll be doing in the future. What do we do? What do we do as a church? What do we do as a church? Let me just give you the first one. We create and operate ministries designed to reconcile people to God. Why? Because that's what it just said. We're to be people who help reconcile people to God. Now, we don't say it that way at Great Oaks, okay? Because most people don't use that term reconcile too much, okay? This is how we say this. We say this. Our mission as a church is to help people take their next step towards God. You heard that before? probably five, If you've been here more than a year, you've probably heard it at least 20 times. If you've been here for 20, 12 years, you've probably heard it 1,000 times. If anybody, if you, anybody asks you, what, what does Great Oaks do, what is the purpose of their church, say this. Our purpose is to help people take their next step towards God. That means bring them into connection with God. Reconcile the word. Reconcile. Because as you read Scripture, the reality is this. People who were nothing like Jesus, liked Jesus. Isn't that weird? I mean, in our world today, I mean, people who are nothing like us, do they like you? If they're not like you, do they like you? Generally not true. But people who were nothing like Jesus, like Jesus, because Jesus liked people who were nothing like him. He hung out with, the Bible says, tax collectors and sinners. That was the worst thing you could hang out with, I guess, in those days. And if we're going to be like Jesus, which we're to be as Christians, if we're to be the hands and feet of Christ, then we should like people who are nothing like Jesus, because that's what Jesus did. And, and, and consequently, they should like us, or at least not be offended by us. That's why people who are not reconciled with Jesus are our primary mission that God has given to us. Because it was Jesus' mission. And from day one in the life of this church, our thing has been this. Our thing has been, we are here to reach the community for Christ. The community, the people that are out there are our primary mission. And the thing we have to make sure of is that we don't sway and become content with where we are, even though we've grown, but realize there's still thousands and thousands of people within five mile radius of this church that don't know Jesus Christ. And we need to help them know the mission, the purpose, the, the thing that Christ says, that Christ, uh, God can reconcile us because of what Christ has done. That's why, what we do. We help people take their next step towards God, which creates and operates ministries designed to reconcile people to God. That's why we do everything we do. Why do we do it? Why do we do it? And this is a little, little different, but, but I found out this to be true. Reconciled people reconcile people. Paul said it this way. He said, early up, look up a few verses. Those who live should no longer do what? Live for themselves. He's saying this. Who is reconciled people He's ta- I'm talking about here? What is Paul? Reconciled people are people we call Christians. Christians are people who do not live for themselves. We are here. You know, I love it. You know, I, I, Another pa- pastor I listen to a lot is, is Rick Warren. And Rick Warren says, and I love the way he says this. He says, uh, he says this. He says, you know, there's only two things on earth that we can't do in heaven. You know what those are? Sin. Thank you, I, y'all figured that one out. Okay, what's the other thing? Tell people about Jesus. Those are the only two things that we can do here on earth that we can't do in heaven. Guess what? He left us here for. Not number one, even though we decided we're going to do that anyway. But num- not sin, is he left us here to tell people about Jesus. That is the mission. That was Christ's mission. He said, I've, cu- I've come to seek and save that which is lost. Don't we get that? And so often we think that the church is all about what we call discipleship. And the church is about discipleship, but we've missed the point, the point in what discipleship is. discipleship is a big word, which means to grow in Christ. And for some reason, we think discipleship is about head knowledge. Yeah, if I go to a Bible study, I'll learn a bunch of stuff, and that's good. That's discipleship. No. That's a part of it. But the Bible also says clearly, James says it clearly, it says, be not simply hearers of the word, but be doers. The person who is a Christian not simply knows a bunch of stuff and gets more head knowledge and sits soaks, so, soaks and sours. That's what happens if you don't do anything with it. It rots. Then what happens is, is a person who actually does what Scripture says. And Scripture says that we are here. This is just one of multiple passages. We are left here on this earth to share the good news with other people. That's our mission. Period. And discipleship is about becoming more and more and more effective in living for Christ and living before people for Christ and loving people in, toward Christ and helping them take their next step, that's discipleship. I mean, folks, I mean, if I could, I, I just wish I could get us past this, this American stigma we have about, we have to, you know, it's about knowledge. Just take one thing you learn from Scripture and apply it to your life. And you'll be much better off than learning a whole bunch of stuff. The reality is God wants us to, discipleship is about, is about reconciled people reconciling people. See, because we believe this, we believe that following Jesus will make your life better and make you better at life. And that's true for people that are Christians and non-Christians. <laughs> we hope that along the way though, when you follow Jesus and it makes your life better and you make you better at life, along the way you may come to believe that Jesus is who he says he is and you'll place your trust in him. It opens that door. Find, finally, let me say this and we'll wrap up. Finally is this. How do we do what we're doing? You know, we. this is what we do. This is why we do it. How do we do it? We do this. It's always been the same. Nothing's changed. By leading, funding, and inviting people. Let me explain what that means real quickly. Number one, leading. What I mean by that is this. We believe that you best learn, and i use that word, fear and trembling because we think it's all about up here. Learn means do it, learn it and do it. We best learn by leading and serving. That's why you constantly hear us talking about, hey, get involved in serving. Get involved in doing this. Get in. Let me tell you, the people who do work with children, guess who gets the greatest benefit from that? The kids get a great benefit, but the people who serve learn. Guess who gets the benefit from teaching or or leading students? The people who lead. Guess who gets the greatest benefit in a small group? The leader of the small group. Because you learn by leading and serving. And so that's part of the deal. That's why service is not simply optional here. We believe it's not simply something just to do all the ministries, but it's also something that will help you to grow and become who God wants you to be. Secondly, by funding the ministries. I unashamedly will get up before you, which I have this year already, and challenge you to give. We believe that God's plan for our lives is this, that we give to God first, that we, that we save second, and then we live off the rest. That's what the Bible says. Clear. It's not gray. It's black and white. Multiple times over. If you've never been through financial peace, go through financial peace. Years ago, I went through Ron Blue's stuff and, 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 and all these different, you know, we had, there's been people all over the years that have shared the same stuff from God's Word that teaches us that. And we believe that that's what we're to do. We're to give, be percentage givers who give to God because we believe that what we do here is important. It's given to us by God, our mission. And finally, inviting, inviting Every week, I take an informal survey at Great Oaks. You don't know this. As people walk out the door, and as you walk out the door, and your first time here, or I don't rec. Let me tell you, folks. I mean, I, I usually recognize faces. I don't always know names, and uh, I- I'm not. am not ashamed to come up to you and say, Hey, what's your name? You know, And if you look new and I haven't talked to you, maybe you went out the other door and you, you bypassed me a few times, so I don't know you've been here. But the reality is every time somebody comes and they say, well, I'm new to Great Oaks, I've been here one time, two times, guess what I ask them? How did you come? What drew you to Great Oaks? And, you know, and, and very rarely somebody will say, oh, it's your incredible architecture of your building. <laughs> this is pretty simple, okay? Or uh, it's the website, I mean, a few people look at the website and they're drawn. Eighty percent of the people, I can almost guarantee you, going out the door says, "I came here because somebody invited me." Eighty percent, because we believe that invest and invite, investing in people's lives and inviting them to events where they can, whether it be a small group or whether it be a worship time or whether it be a youth to a youth activity or whether it be whatever it needs to be, a children's to a children activity is a way. Of helping people to take the next step towards God, it breaks the ice, and we want to have the kind of church that people can invite their friends to, and they're going like. And the pushback is this: Well, you know, I don't want to go to church. I've been to church for no. And your you know, first thing will be this: I've heard this so, so many times. Well, my friend said this is not like most churches, and I said, well, when and this is the person who's showing up, and I'm going like, well, what do you think? They are right. You know, you don't, you don't, I, there was not any ter- terminology, I didn't know, you know, big room, I mean, how, how hard is that? Uh, you know, lobby, uh, children's ministry, you know, we don't use any terminology that we try to, uh, pastor doesn't wear anything special, you don't have to wear anything special, the music's in a style that kind of is contemporary as far as our culture and it's with the demographics of our community, and so people will invite, their, invite people. And I am thankful. I am thankful for all of you who over the last 12 years who've bought into what we do here, who believe in what we do here, and you believe it so much that you have been willing to serve. And you've served and you've placed... And let me say it this way. I, I'm so thankful for that because let me tell you what you've done. Those of you who've served... Those of you who have served in children's on Sunday mornings and youth on Wednesdays and Thursdays, in adults, in groups, what you have done is you have placed an anchor in the souls of children and youth and adults from which they will never recover. And that's a good thing. See, I mean, the one thing I know, and I ask people, I go to chamber of commerce meetings, I do other things here, people feel welcome at Great Oaks, And may we always be the kind of church where people feel welcome in. Because we aren't done yet. We haven't arrived yet. Because we still have the opportunity to do three things, then we'll close. Number one, we have the opportunity to leave the local church in better shape than what we found it. We have that opportunity. Number two, we have an opportunity to launch a generation of kids who think you're supposed to enjoy church. Shh. Don't tell them that too loud. And number three, we have the opportunity to raise a group of kids and students who think you're supposed to serve and to be in a small group and invite their friends. And that's just a natural part of life because that's the natural part of what a church is supposed to be like. See, the reason I think that people think that way and feel that way is because of your generosity and because of your service. And because, I think this is true for you too, as it is for me, Christ's love compels us. It always has. And by God's grace and your continuing commitment to it, it always will. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your love and your goodness to us. I thank you for this word from the Apostle Paul that speaks so clearly to the, to the purpose that we are here for, God. This weekend is kind of a, a vision-casting weekend of talking about why we do church. And, and next week, God, and the weeks of following, we'll be talking about some very practical things in our life that things not only we need to know but things we need to do so that we won't have to live life in the way that we've uh, we lived in the past. And, and when we ask the questions, think certain questions like, well, you know, what was I thinking or, or why did I do that, that we'll have a process to go through to deal with the ups and downs of life in relationships and in finances and in uh, jobs and everything else that we deal with, God. I pray, God, that you would open, your, that open each one of our eyes as we, um, as we examine your word. And, God, as we go out into this community, realize that we are ambassadors for you to our neighbors and to the people that are right around us and people that we work with and whatever You're, we're called to be, people who share with them the good news that we can be reconciled with you, God, because of what you've done through your Son, Jesus Christ. Guide us now, the sweet God, in all the things we do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.